Hi, this is Matthias and today we interview Bastian Barami, who is a German living the nomad lifestyle. Bastian started his professional career with an apprenticeship in a five-star hotel. Later he'd studied to become a teacher twice, but it didn't work out. So he was giving up on that. Having joint issues and even more problems after a failed pelvic surgery, he started to work in an office. It didn't take too long and he became bored. He was researching the internet for ways to make money online and started a blog to document his journey. In 2015, he started an Amazon FBA business and switched to Airbnb later on. Today, we learn about his story, the steps you need to take to run a successful Airbnb business and about the advantages of Airbnb compared to Amazon FBA. So, ever Europeans, enjoy the inspiring story of how Bastian transformed his life for the better and how you get your hands on Airbnb. See you! Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. So welcome everybody to another episode of the FI Europe podcast. Today with me is Bastian Barami. Say hello, Bastian. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I would say uh, let's directly start with the questions and uh, I would like to know where are you at the moment because you're traveling I guess yeah at the moment I'm in uh, Chiang Mai in northern Thailand northern Thailand okay haven't been in Thailand in whole of my life I would say and and you you started office flucht so I see you you escaped already from yes. your German office and uh, office flucht is is a German word it means office escape so that's your blog and your online course and so on What would you say? Why do people, uh, why don't they want to work in their offices anymore? Is it a larger trend? What's happening there? Well, first, I believe that since the economy is changing and the digital revolution is just um, moving on so, so quickly, um, that led to, um, at the same time, traveling becoming way more convenient, way more accessible and way cheaper. But since in Europe, we are somehow always uh, living in this um let's say like 50-50 split of weather, like 50% of the year you have bad weather. So I think it is very much a part of our culture to constantly look to leave our home behind, at least for vacation reasons. And the more you um, kind of identify yourself, like through Instagram or so on, like basically most of the people, they only post when they have something nice to show, like laying on the beach or something like that. It becomes something that people want to um, have permanently, right? Because it's somewhat of a um, status thing at the same time. Like people mostly identify themselves or want to identify themselves by showing other people, hey, I live this lifestyle where I'm constantly on vacation, even though that is not really the case because obviously in other places you also have to work. <laughs> Obviously, except you are, you have already some money or some passive income, if it's really passive. And isn't it also because of the digitalization, because remote work is, is now much easier and also maybe internet connection in, in, in Asian countries, for example, are getting better. Do you think people also realize that they, that this employee job with a boss and all this office politics is not for them anymore? Obviously, what it ultimately leads to is, um, self-determination, right? Um, the majority of people do not like to be bossed around, even though that is part of our working culture. And the more and more you see people actually um, building up something for themselves, like 
their own business being self-determined, being independent, location independence, independent in, in many different ways. Of course, that is something that um, sounds amazing. And unfortunately, we have this conventional career thinking where we are being told or our entire life have been told that we have to be this to to be uh, like to be a certain thing in order to be socially accepted because so often like when you start a conversation and don't know somebody yet you're more more identified through what you do than than what you would say you are right so i personally feel that the only reason in a time where digital revolu- uh, the digital revolution actually allows us to if we're not a taxi driver or a carpenter or butcher to actually really work remotely like most of the jobs are being done on a computer and it does not matter like let's say i work in a big uh, corporate company and i need to talk to the law department and so on and they sit like three or four stories up i don't go to the elevator and drive up there i just dial a number and call them right so it doesn't really matter if i'm sitting in guatemala if i have means there to to uh, be on a yeah, on an online call like we are at the moment to, to get my work done. But I feel that this shift since by the companies, it's not yet accepted. Like they still feel they have to watch, like stand behind you and watch exactly what you're doing uh, in order for you to get the work done, right? Like there's not there's not really a trust between employer, uh, employer and employee. And that is the main reason why that is not um, daily practice nowadays right like that we can can work remotely or home office or from from anywhere in the world we don't work um result orientated it's more this exchange between the employer and the employee you get paid by the hour not by the results and that of course brings a lot of comfort on the one on the one side and on the other side it leads to since um in society is so accepted to to live that way to not be judged based on you making the jump into the uncertain and probably not making it, like not succeeding in what is so unconventional and in the eyes of others so naive or brave or unrealistic to do. So I feel like that kind of uh, hinders people and um, paralyzes them. Yeah, there's a lot of judging uh, from the from the employees when you start your own career and it's not taking off from day one. Maybe um, then you have to you should just close your ears and um, yeah try not to talk to to them that much. And uh, yesterday I also was in an office in, in in Frankfurt and we we used screen sharing although we were sitting in the same room because we had no projector. And so that means for me, it was also thinking, okay, it doesn't matter if you sit here in the office or you sit in, in Chiang Mai because you would just use your screen sharing. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's not really, not really needed for the most of the work in the offices. I mean, a butcher or a bakery. Hmm, okay. Not yeah. sure about that. Maybe we need to wait another five years for maybe robots that can help us um, to do the work on site. But yeah, I mean, 80% of people are, are working in offices or information work. So for them, it's absolutely possible. And uh, also there's, I think, from my perception, there's an increase in freelancer right now. And there are all these freelance platforms where you can organize yourself, some work and so on. So I guess it's it's a larger trend, I would say. Yeah. And, and also in regards of not only self-development, but also in, in, in regards of self-education, 
Like it does not matter if we sit completely in a different area of the world and take a book or watch an online course. Like basically the input that we need in order to proceed, to learn, to, to grow, and also to contribute to um, what your company does or what your company would want to expand into when all of this is possible completely remotely. I don't get why this is not being put into action in the regular everyday world field because what companies often have not realized yet is how much potential there is actually to to save enormous amounts of money. Like if you have a huge building full of employees and basically this is a burden for the people to basically have to get up at 6 a.m., have a very quick breakfast, get ready, get in your car, stand in traffic to basically like rush to be there by 8 a.m. You've already wasted like two hours of the day, right? And just in order to get to the company building that then needs to be run with electricity, with gas, with all kinds of things that is actually not necessary or would only be necessary in a much smaller version where it's really necessary to have people work there on site. But for the majority of the people, that is not the case. So I feel like that's why there's more and more internet startups. Like the, the, the newest companies basically realize that beforehand and don't waste so much money while trying to, to uh, bring their, their business uh, out there. Um, yeah, there are also companies that are that are maybe have 100 uh, employees and they work completely remote. So like WordPress or the, the company yeah. behind WordPress and, yeah. and some other companies. So there's a new, new companies that are living the principle and they just want the best people and no matter where they live yeah. and so on. And what, what I also don't understand is that, uh, that you have all the possibilities to, to educate yourself via online courses, but many people are sitting in, in, the, in their jobs and they are just waiting. Can I do this training or can I, yeah. uh, can yeah. I get some budget, um, that I can go to this training or a day off for, for a conference? But in the end, they could exactly. just in the evening, they could just learn themselves and spend 10 euros on, on Udemy and so on. Yeah, it's just a huge waste of resources. I don't know. I think there's there's a huge shift, but in at least in Germany, it takes a while. You know, Germany is always <laughs> yeah. a yeah. bit behind. Yeah, we, we, are, we are very, very attached to how things used to be and very, very hesitant when it comes to realizing the potential of something and become part of the change, right? So um, I think that is also why, even though in, in the global eye, Germany is always like very, very uh, renowned and like people see Germany as a very advanced country. But me living in Thailand, for instance, right now, it is kind of a paradox that in Germany, when you say I'm living in Thailand, people think of Thailand like two things, like a third world country and a lot of people going there on like, let's say, sex vacation or something like that, right? Like there's a stereotype. And that's completely not the case. Like when you're here, especially in cities like Bangkok uh, and Chiang Mai also, there are so many things where you feel, oh my God, like Germany is so far behind in so many different ways. And especially when it comes to um, things like uh, digitalization and um, um, convenience, especially convenience is just mad out here. Um, maybe Germans just wait for a regulation for remote work and just... I think they observe the the others and and yeah they are just waiting until it's getting socially accepted maybe yeah I don't know on the other hand um, it's pretty 
also pretty convenient here in Germany. You know, you have electricity <laughs> and um, hospitals and so on. But the question is, how long are the other countries, uh, do they need to catch up with Germany and also, yeah, go behind that? I would like to know when and why did you decide to leave the office or have you ever worked in the office? And, um, yeah, when... actually I have. Oh, yeah. really? In which one? So, you know, in Germany, we have this thing called Ausbildung, which is like a three-year-long kind of apprenticeship to learn basically mm -hmm. almost every job that you don't need a college degree for. So mm -hmm. um, I was working for Intercontinental Hotels. It's pretty much the biggest hotel chain in the world. And mm -hmm. I was um, working in uh, Düsseldorf. It was like a, um, a five-star superior hotel. Had to shave every day, wear a suit and all of this. And basically... Um, It's a lot of like cleaning, brown nosing, and not really uh, ever think for yourself or think independently. Like you all only cater to guests and, and always have to behave like they're always right, even though that is very, very often not the case. And some people get really rude, uh, especially many people that are just filthy rich. And I just um, thought... To do this three-year apprenticeship would be like the quickest way for me to combine work and travel because I always wanted to combine work and travel. But back then, I just never heard the term digital nomads or knew that there's uh, people out there who actually really permanently travel and work at the same time. So to me, when I first heard about this, this was basically like a, uh, like utopia, right? But at the same time, I felt, damn, like... If I want to become a digital nomad, I suppose I have to have some sort of digital background. Like I have to have a particular skill that I can put into action, like only with my computer necessary. And I didn't have that, obviously. So, um, and I also went to college to become a teacher twice. Uh, dropped out of college twice. Second time when I was 30. Now I'm 34. So I became self-employed when I was 30. And shortly after my 30th birthday, Uh, I started like really deep diving into this whole nomad topic. And there was this one American blog, I think the name was Location Rebel or Location 180 or something like that. I don't know if it still exists, but back then in 2015, like he was recommending or he was mentioning that online course platform Udemy. And back then, barely anybody knew it, especially in, in Europe there, uh, or in Germany. There was no German courses whatsoever, which has changed over the years, of course. But to me, I was so obsessed with making this work, like somehow learning a craft to be able to combine work and travel for good. And so I bought like 30 online courses because they're like 10 euros each or 10, 10 dollars, like depending on, on where you buy it. But um, so I bought like 30 online courses just on anything that you could do from a computer. And I think this is really um, something that I have to point out because so often in the digital field, people tell you if, if you want to live Your, your, your dream life, you got to find your passion and you have to somehow find a way to, to make a living off of this, like make it a business. And I think that's bullshit personally, because the point is that first of all, not every passion is suitable to make it a business. And at the same time, you can ruin your passion also by making it a business, because of course there's like certain stepping stones and, and hurdles and challenges that come with building a business, right? So I personally feel it is much more um, recommendable to, yeah, maybe maybe you have a passion, but like find a cash cow, find a way to that, 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 that allows you to, in your free time, basically 
focus on that passion, but not to to make that your main income stream. So in my case, it was really like that, that I just found something that I felt like, yeah, okay, I, I think I can do that. And that was in 2015 was e-commerce. So in 2015 in Germany, nobody knew about Amazon FBA. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people here who, who listen to this know about Amazon FBA. So it's basically a location-dependent way of, of e-commerce where all the fulfillments, like sending the products, package them, store them, all of this is done by Amazon and you basically don't have to have your own warehouse. You never have to put your hands on the product. And I did this for like three years and was giving also um, several workshops in Germany because I was the first one to actually publicly write about this. Because like you mentioned, I started this blog and in the beginning, I only started this blog because all the people were telling you, yeah, if you want to be an old man, just start your blog. You can write an ebook and passive income until you die <laughs> to, to exaggerate that a little bit. And of course that is not true, but I had this blog and I wanted to use it as a channel to, to document my own journey, like being the guy that has no digital background, but making the, the digital nomad lifestyle work for, for him, right? So like basically trying out different business models, documenting what works, what does not work, and share that with my audience. And that led to a huge Amazon FBA wave or hype uh, coming up in, in Germany after I promoted that that business model. And uh, that was my starting point, basically. And um, so what you mentioned is also that you not, not focus on your passion first, but have a look where can you contribute, find a cash cow, find something that makes money. And then you maybe can also monetize your, your passion later on, maybe if it, if it works out to be also useful for other people or people are willing to pay for, for your passion stuff, then I mean, it can also become uh, something you can monetize. For example, you started your blog, uh, which was also just a passion uh, that you did on the side. And, and now, I mean, now you can also profit from it because you realize yeah. that also other people are inter interested in the same topic and, and share maybe that passion. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but first of all, focus on, on, on something where you can contribute initially to other people and what they need and then uh, build from there. You started with the Amazon FBA. Now you switched to, to Airbnb. Why did you switch? First of all, to explain it in a nutshell, I was, I'm location dependent for almost five years now. So after about three years of traveling, I felt that I really wanted to have a home base again. But I did not limit, I did not want to limit myself to one location though, right? But when you live in Airbnbs for almost three years, I, I think I slept in a hostel maybe three times in my life. And I always rented Airbnbs because early on I was making good money with my e-commerce business and um, I just like to have a nice place to stay at. But you, you kind of grow tired of it because first of all, it is not your personal space and many of the places are just very, very basic, even though they look nice on the pictures, but then you'll have like one knife, two forks, broken glass. And like, especially in Latin America, where I was uh, mostly in the first couple of years and also in Asia, there are just so many, so many objects, so many, so many uh, apartments that are just not uh, run in a, in a good way. And I just really felt that also by traveling and changing locations every now and then, I somehow, like, I got to a point in my business where I wanted to sit on my ass and focus on growing 
what I'm building here. And I felt like if I continue to travel and switch locations too often, I just sacrifice too, too much productivity. So I really wanted to have my own place again, but at the same time, still keep the option to travel without burning money and, and paying monthly rent. So I just figured like, why the hell don't I become an Airbnb host myself when I permanently live in Airbnbs? And the thing is that, especially in Asia and Latin America, but also in Europe, it is very, very easy to rent apartments long-term and to get the allowance from the landlord to actually sub-rent it while you're not there. Because I could always say uh, to the landlord, hey, look, I'm working remotely. I travel a lot. I do a lot of public speaking gigs also in different countries. And that's why I, like, I want to have this apartment and live here several months per year. But I want to have the general allowance to sublet it while I'm not here in order to avoid like twice, double, triple the, the living expenses, right? So the more I deep dived into this whole topic of short-term rentals, the more I discovered that there's a whole ecosystem of tools and services that, that allow you to run it completely remotely, like automate it, um, scale it, and basically leads to me not having to put in more than one hour per week per property. And I could even outsource that. And at the same time, I can always come back, like literally come back home, turn the key in the lock, open the door and feel like uh, I never left. How do you initially in this Airbnb field? I think it's, it's a field, but normally there are sub strategies or something. For example, in real estate, you can do fix and flip. You can do uh, student apartments. You can do for older people um, apartments. Is there also uh, strategies in, in the Airbnb where you can strategically pick one um, that uh, is suitable for your lifestyle? Are there multiple strategies like Airbnb for business or whatever? Yeah, of course. Of course. But, but my main object, uh, objective was that I wanted to have multiple home bases around the world for myself that not only pay for themselves, but actually also make money, right? So of course there's like uh, fix and flip, but the, the majority of, of, um, of real estate businesses build on you purchasing the units, right? And the thing is um, the way that I do it, you could pretty much overall say that with my method, I make three times as much in rent as I personally pay in rent. And I do not have to purchase anything except uh, depending on on the unit like sometimes they're pre-furnished but what i do normally to stand out is to really furnish it the way that i like it that that i feel that it's home that it's really stylish and that it just by its style stands out on the airbnb but also the thing is the majority of airbnb hosts have no idea what the fuck they're doing like they take their cell phone take a few pictures put it online see what happens no professionalism no idea about all the tools that are out there And so normally nothing happens or not much happens. Of course, you can get a booking here and there, but then they'll be there locally um, and they go and, and let the guests in. Often they clean the apartments themselves. And basically the luxury problem that I had that I can travel around the world, but I want to have a home base again. This led to me having to find ways to automate all of that and at the same time beat the regular real estate game by not having to invest uh, a shitload of money uh, beforehand to then have much, much better interest. So normal uh, normal scheme is you purchase a unit and then you'll get a couple hundred dollars, uh, euros or whatever where you do it uh, back on a monthly basis. But 
I don't have a big upfront capital invest and I make three times as much what the majority of real estate owners make on a monthly basis without having to put all this money in uh, beforehand. So basically, let's say you have 50,000 euros laying around. So normally you could only pay an initial payment for an apartment for that because there's not many places around the world or in the Western world where you can pay off an entire apartment with 50K. I'm just talking hypothetically. But if you would take that money, and that's not like the amount that I started with was much, much lower. I didn't have more than 5K when I, when I started this. So I, I did not put more than 5K into my first few apartments. So, uh, and you can even do it with, with less than this. But the thing is that with that amount of money, let's say you have 50K, you can build up at least, at least 10 different units. And then they're already like uh, above average in, in, in regards of, of furnishing and all of this. Like the, the, the most apartments that you can furnish uh, in, in like a one to two bedroom, you can do that in certain ways with like two and a half grand. But let's just calculate in a bigger way. So you build up 10 apartments and on average, I have a positive cash flow after three to four months already make back my investments in, in regards to furniture and, and upfront rent that I pay. Basically like four months, three to four months. So after like starting fifth month, I already make profit in comparison to regular real estate owners that pay off units maybe 15 to 20 years or even longer, right? So I have positive cash flow after four months and then triple as much as regular renters. So you picked as a strategy, you or as an audience, you picked people like you, like digital nomads or travelers? I don't really pick a particular target audience because I know that, first of all, I do this to feel at home by myself, right, mm. when, when I'm there. So the thing is, if you have an attractive and appealing apartment, that is already enough to have other people want to live in it, but especially when you know that Airbnb, of course, is also an algorithm-based platform, right? So when you know that, then there's also an algorithm to be played. Like you can cater to that. You can uh, use certain strategies. Like I know certain st strategies that I can rank with pretty much any apartment amongst the first search results for a city in less than two weeks. So more visibility means more bookings, obviously. And that is very, very easy to to achieve right so you don't have to and you don't have to have a certain strategy like if you're a hotel then that is different then you need a particular target audience but if you just have a, a plain nice apartment that ranks well on airbnb then that is all you need and we, actually i only talk about airbnb because airbnb is the platform that whose name rings the most with people but actually there's even uh, softwares you can basically list your listings on multiple different platforms like booking.com, HomeAway, like over 30 different platforms with one click. So of course you don't need to limit yourself to Airbnb, but I permanently, uh, I mostly focus on Airbnb because I'm very well booked there already. And beforehand, like before you just sign a lease in a place, there's software, for instance, there's a company called AirDNA, And they basically analyze the entire Airbnb marketplace in the city of your choice. Like any city around the world, almost any city around the world, you can analyze the target market. You can analyze 
which areas, like you can compare neighborhoods against each other, which one is more profitable. You can you have this function called the rentalizer. You just put the address of the place that you might be able to rent in there and it calculates you potential revenue or like based on the data that they scrolled on the Airbnb platform that they crawled on all, uh, all the uh, Airbnb platform, they tell you beforehand how much you will make on average and what seasonality means for you or which properties are the most successful ones. You can actually see how much your competition makes on a monthly basis. That's really good. And how you picked your cities where you do Airbnb, just where you want to stay? Yes. How would you recommend our audience to, to pick a city if you're maybe not traveling, if you're an employee that is stuck in, in Central Europe? <laughs> What would you do as there are also some, some regulation in place? I, I looked into the internet, especially for German cities. They all have, not all, but the major cities have their laws. Uh, what would you do when you live here in Central Europe? Well, I personally think that especially because of all the tools that you can use to automate the process with you not having to be there. I think one idea could be to do it in a place that you see yourself going to multiple times per year and basically benefit from having that object there to, to, to use it also for a couple of weeks or so per year for yourself. But at the same time, of course, when you are inside of Europe, in Europe, like you mentioned, there's more regulations than in other parts of the world. But that has to do with how cities are built in Europe, right? Like you have mostly like in, in, in the cities where you have regulations like, like Munich, like uh, Barcelona, um, Lisbon, Venice. In these cities, you have very, very dense city centers with a lot of uh, old buildings, right? Uh, opposed to in Latin America and in, in Asia, having a lot of skyscrapers so they can build up more and more living room into the sky, right? So even in a city in Bangkok, uh, like Bangkok, like in Bangkok, I also have uh, a unit there. And there, things like shortage of housing space are not really a topic, right? You have over six million people living there and still there are so many places being vacant, right? But um, if it, it depends on would you want to have a second home base to use for yourself couple of times per year or do you just want to run this as a money-driven project um, there are options for both obviously and there's also this website called uh, nomadlist nomadlist.com and nomadlist is a website that normally um, lists all kinds of factors that are relevant for digital nomads before like when they compare cities before they arrive like things like of course Internet speeds, cost of living, uh, safety, all, all kinds of different topics. But at the same time, they have a section where they compare local rent prices with Airbnb prices. So if you're just completely neutral and you just want to make money off this, then you could be like, okay, I'll just do this in Katowice in Poland, which has a ratio of 1 to 38, which is crazy. Like you can make up to 38 times as much running an Airbnb there than what you pay in rent, right? So mm. this, this is just crazy. Like if you really just want to run it as a money-driven project, then there's many, many ways to find out where to go and where to do it. But I think if you live in a city, first of all, Airbnb is not illegal anywhere, even though media often uses a headline like that 
to to get more more clicks and and, and more readers. But actually, there's always uh, certain rules to follow, right? Like it is not per law illegal in any place that I know of. And um, there's certain gray zones, but there's normally also ways around it. Or there's limitations in regards of the the amount of days that you can rent out or the percentage of room of your place that you can rent in, in some cities is only allowed to rent out a room, but not the entire apartment, right? So you want to go, ideally, you want to go to a place where you have no regulations, where you have no struggle in, in building it up and wanting, of course, to, to run this long term. And um, I feel because of the uh, because of the possibility to completely run this remotely and automate it, I would rather, even if it's not allowed in my own hometown, rather go somewhere else where I know I can make this a profitable business. I can research the entire market. It's profitable. It's a place where I want to be. Yeah, I feel like anybody can really do this. And I say this completely convinced because actually almost everybody who listens to this today has a roof over their head and has internet, right? So most likely... Those people have rented an apartment before, have furnished it. The only difference is that you do it in another place where you can take maybe like a weekend to furnish the place and then maybe another third day to set up the the tools for the automation. And normally it does not take me more than maximum, maximum three weeks. And not like you're working completely for three weeks straight. I mean, like from signing a lease until receiving my first guests, obviously not in person, but like having my first guests in the unit, it takes no longer than two to three weeks. And I feel like anybody can do this because everybody has done something like that before, only with the difference that you put some tools into place and you don't live in it yourself all the time. Which countries are, uh, I mean, in Germany, it's, I have the feeling that all the major cities, they have their regulations. Do you, do you know places or countries where they are more open for Airbnb? Well, in Germany, it is a, a media fight, basically, because of the, the way that, that Germans consume media, right? Like negative media, unfortunately, in Germany and many other places in the world works much better than, than positive things. But the thing is that in Germany, you only have regulations in nine cities, across entire Germany. Now how many people now how many cities do we have? I've taught this business model to many, many, many people by now. And the majority of my customers are German because I'm German, my blog is in German, most of my content is in German. So the majority of people who uh, run through my training, they do it in Germany. And some of them do it in major cities, but also many do it in smaller cities and really, really run this super profitable because of the lack of competition and especially the lack of professionalism among the, the competition. So the objective, like if you really just want to run this as a business or you want to run this close to your hometown, but it might not be allowed in your hometown, then you can just do it in a different place because what many people believe and what is not true is that Airbnb solely for tourists like that it only works in touristic places which is not nearly the case because so many people use it as a business travel option right for instance they go into a conference in a different city or they go watch a football game or go to a concert or go back to their hometown visit their family or people working construction 
in a different city and, and like need a place for like two weeks that the construction site is going to be active, right? Like there's so many people using Airbnb to, to look for accommodation. So I personally feel that there is a huge chance in going places that are not overcrowded and regulated. And like I said, I really also don't want to push people into a direction where they contribute to um, yeah, regulation problems and, and shortage of housing because there's so many options. Like there's so many incredible places in the world where you have no obligations, like no hassle to set set it up and run it and build up a very, very profitable business. And um, okay, so when so you just have to make your decision, do some research where people are open for for Airbnb, maybe some smaller cities. And how do you then go to the landlord? Um, are you open with your intention that you want to do a sh short term rental um, yes. and, and ask for, for perception or written allowance? Many many Airbnb hosts do it behind the back of the landlord. I would definitely not recommend that because. I want to be able to sleep at night, right? So I don't want, especially like if I do it remotely and I have uh, multiple uh, units in different countries, I don't want to sit, hit the fan in a different country where I'm not at and not being able to get there over the, like in, in a matter of a few hours, right? So I always inform the landlords and in most countries, this is really not a big deal. Actually, I looked at a property yesterday and The thing is, as a Western person, um, especially when you go to a different country and especially like here in Asia, where you do not have a regular like welfare system or when you get cut off of work that um, the um, how do you call it? Arbeitsamt in English? I'm not sure if English people have an Arbeitsamt. <laughs> It's an agency <laughs> that that uh, helps you to get a get a new job or where you can get unemployment money. I would say and, and and covers your life expenses for up to a year or even longer sometimes. So they pay your rent, they pay everything, right? But we don't have that. Uh, we have that in multiple European countries, but in many other parts of the world, something like that does not exist. So. For me, as a Western person, to come up to a landlord here in Asia, for instance, saying, I want to sign a year-long lease and I'll pay a deposit and I'll pay the first rent. And all that I need on top of that is a passport. That's it. Like in, in, in Germany, you would have to hand in three uh, previous slips of your income. They have this thing called uh, Schufa, which basically tells like a credit uh, credit score that you have to bring when you want to, to lease an apartment here. All of this is not the case. All you need is your passport and the money for the deposit and the first rent, right? So um, when I then tell them I want to use the apartment, uh, I basically want to live in it several months of the year, but I'm not there all the time. So I want to sub-rent it. Like normally they are so open to this just because they feel like, well, If something happens to the apartment, I can still, they, of course, they can still cancel a contract, right? And in Germany or in Europe, we're so, like, um, landlords are so scared that something is going to happen to their unit. But actually, the opposite is the case because the majority of the time, the guests will not spend in the Airbnb because they come for an event. They come for sightseeing or for an event, like I, like I mentioned before. So... Every few days, there's cleaning staff coming into the apartment and making sure the place stays in, in good condition, which is not the case when I have a long-term tenant that basically lives 
through the apartment, basically, like by, by, by not taking care of it, maybe not being uh, a tidy person. And the place looks much shittier um, after several years than if I'm running an Airbnb business. So basically what I do is I am transparent with the landlord, but I also educate them on the topic because I do have the real life experience. And I'm also in case they do not, they're, they're not open to it. Then I sometimes try to give them like a higher deposit because I know when something happens to the place, there's Airbnb's insurance that covers up to 1 million USD. So in case something happens, I do not really have to pay that or lose my, my deposit, right? So to me, the best way is to play with open cards, but educate the landlords on the topic and sometimes just basically try to convince them with a, a higher deposit or sometimes even also making them my business partner that they get a percentual small share of uh, the income. Oh, that could align um, could align the interest uh, between uh, you and the uh, landlord. Okay, so so some good ideas how to convince the landlords, and it's also I think it's a good idea to take an Airbnb where you also want to live sometimes um, because then it also becomes a lifestyle and maybe money is important but not so important. So I will also research uh, for a couple of cities that I that I really like. And um, then, I mean, you have the, you have the, you have the flat, then basically you already mentioned you, you get some furniture. Um, you also maybe get some nice stuff, nice furniture because you want to uh, list in the page one of the rankings. And it's, it's not so, not so expensive, I would say, compared to the revenue you can make. And then you have a, a lot of tools that help you to automate uh, the business that you're not spending so much time. What are some tools you, you use to automate the business? Well, on the one hand, of course, there's a, um, a tool for all the communication because communication is something that you have to do on a daily basis with your, with your guests, right? And the questions are mostly always the same. How do I get to the apartments? What's the Wi-Fi password? Do you have any restaurant recommendations? This and that. So it would be silly to constantly write the same answers to the same questions over and over again. And there's certain softwares that automate the entire communication that are basically tr triggered by events. Let's say somebody sends a booking inquiry, they get a different text message by me, a different response than if they do a direct booking. Or um, for instance, If it's one day before they check in, I send them a reminder of uh, how to get to the apartment, send them the, the, the Wi-Fi login credentials. And also what I do is in order, because traveling to Airbnb is normally still a kind of personal thing, right? So what I do is I stand in the apartment, uh, have a video recorded of me where I stand in the apartment, like it's a friend who is following me through the apartment while I'm in front of the camera. And I welcome the guests and I apologize that I can't be there in person unexpectedly and um, explain everything to them, like how the coffee maker works, how they turn on Netflix, how uh, like where they find the first aid kit and stuff like that. So that's how you still have somewhat of a personal experience. And um, day after check-in, they get a message, automated message. Um, I hope everything uh, went well with the check-in, uh, that everything went, uh, that, that they're feeling all right, that there's anything uh, I can do for them, uh, they can contact me. Um, and then one day prior to their departure, I remind them of the checkout time. Uh, so the staff can, the cleaning staff can prepare the apartment for the upcoming guests. 
And two days after they leave, I, in a very nice way, ask them if they could leave a review because I would, which I always get because they think that I've been this attentive host and have, have manually written all of these messages, which is not the case. I haven't spent a single minute on the communication. So basically, really, the only thing that I personally do is responding to messages that is that, that are not covered by all the communication templates that I have in place for this tool. Then there's um, another tool that is doing automated repricing because prices for hotels, they also vary depending on the season, depending on what events are taking place in the city. So why are most Airbnb hosts not doing that? It doesn't make sense. So there are software that completely without you having to do anything, adjusts like there's an uh, API, I don't know the English word, but there's a connection to like between that service and the Airbnb listing, and it automates the price changes according to the price developments in the local ho- hotel industry. So even if you can only make two, three euros per day more, than you would normally charge over the course of the year. There's there's more than one thousand already that you make on top of that, right? And then also in regards of cleaning the place, because when you are far away, you want to make sure that the place is being cleaned according to your standards, according to your uh, expectations and requirements. But cleaning staff is also human; like they can get sick, and um, you need a backup. But what happens when? Somebody comes into your apartment as a cleaning cleaning staff, as a maid who has never been there. They don't exactly know what to do, right? But there's a there's an app called Properly, like property, but with an L. And there you can basically create cleaning jobs by using a series of photos. So you can take your smartphone, you take all kinds of photos inside the apartment, basically like a schnitzeljagd, <laughs> basically like. Um, different photos to follow and on these photos you can you can place certain tasks and these individually have to be checked in order to proceed to the next photo of that cleaning job so basically people who have never been to your apartment are then capable to clean exactly the way that you want them to do it like where to put the extra toilet paper what to prepare where do they a place like a welcome card what do they have to write on it um, everything basically as a photo guide to follow through and get this done even without you having to tell them a single thing that sounds pretty good that you can automate it and and that you can also give give the instructions to make sure that you have the same quality like also hotel hotels would provide so there's a whole ecosystem that helps you to to automate that and to make sure that it's always the same experience for every guest um, that you can repeat over and over again. So that's uh, pretty good. So I would recommend all people are interested to go really deep uh, into it and, and, and look for the tools or maybe book your, your course if people can speak um, German, for example. What I'm really also interested is, um, I mean, this is a platform model. Airbnb is a platform. Uh, we also mentioned Amazon FBA. Is, uh, it's also a platform. Isn't it uh, becoming more and more competitive? What's your experience from the FBA? Is it co- becoming more competitive where, where people have to put in more time to get the same out of it? What do you think about the, the future of these platform models, especially Airbnb? 
Well, the reason why I stopped doing Amazon FBA was, of course, first of all, because I um, grew tired of it because I was an influencer in the field and I constantly got the same questions and I just felt it just felt tiring. But another reason why I personally prefer the Airbnb business is, first of all, you don't run the risk of having Chinese suppliers underrun you in price for your own product, even though they might be the ones selling it to you. Then also things uh, like like patent issues. Like there, there are so many things that are really problematic in regards of Amazon FBA and, and um, private label products because you can always be copied, right? But an apartment that you individually furnish that is one unit. You're not running out of stock. Like uh, you, you don't have to worry about customs and all of this stuff. Like basically, you run a very individualistic business by how how much effort you put into the apartment and how nice you make it. Right. So that is something that is, in my opinion, not nearly as competitive because you can always do something to stand out from the pack. And also, the thing is. Everybody knows Airbnb, but the majority of people have never considered doing it as a host. Like there's millions and millions and millions of people using it as guests, but worldwide, you only have less than 5 million listings and even lesser hosts. And only 5% of the worldwide hosts are so-called super hosts, which which is basically like this um, status that you receive when are you doing a good job as a host? And even from these super hosts, very, very few people know all the automation tools and like how to rank well and then look into the deeper technical side of it. And still the thing is, even when that changes, even when more and more people will someday become more professional in running the Airbnb business, there's always demand for for housing, right? Even when, if, if the platform Airbnb will not be one day, it's just a basic human need to live with a roof over your head and have a nice place, right? So the business does not die. Like I'm not as dependent of the platform as I am with Amazon because the Amazon thing is that, especially in Germany, more than 43% of all product-related search terms on Google in Germany are being put into Amazon before they're being used on, on, on Google, right? So the majority of people, when they want to buy something, or almost the majority, like the biggest part, the four, these 42%, because the, uh, all the other ones are smaller percentages. But basically, the people, when they, buy, when they want to buy a physical product, they just go onto Amazon. With Airbnb, there's different options to Airbnb that are also very, very well used. There's Booking.com, there's HomeAway, there's Expedia, there's so many different other ones. But in regards of convenience of usability, Airbnb, and also in regards of marketing, Airbnb is just doing a very great job. And I will use that as long as I can. And um, when that is not longer the case, for whatever reason, then I'm not 100% dependent on that platform. So there you say that Airbnb is, um, or this renting out is much better than, than FBA or Shopify because people need a place to live somewhere. And 
Yeah, it's just that it's not another technical crap you or gadget you can buy on Amazon, but you you really need it, and um, there's there's always demand, and you people also need to be kind of here in in Europe, for example, to to look for for the Airbnbs sometimes. That so people in Japan or in, in China cannot compete with you in in, in Europe. Yeah, hopefully. And uh, if you if you're really lazy like me sometimes, is there also a possibility to to maybe just invest in your Airbnb strategy, or are there companies that run Airbnb professionally where you can just say, okay, here you have like 20k, 30k, and uh, please provide me with a steady return, maybe a little bit lower than what I would get when I do it um, myself. Yeah. But is there also possibility for that, or where do yes. you find these opportunities? Yes. Uh, well, I personally, I um, do offer co-hosting services to people who have properties, right? So if you're a real estate owner who does not want to put all of this into action themselves and um, you just still want to make higher profits than, uh, than renting it out to a regular long-term tenant, uh, yeah, you can definitely contact me and um, I will make sure that this makes uh, yeah quite a good amount of money on Airbnb and um, then there's different options like there's options for, for one-time payments or continuous uh, percentual shares. Okay and you you just have to go maybe to a, to a meetup or uh, look in the internet in, in certain groups to find the companies that are running Airbnb and then you reach out to them and ask hey can I invest in your company and then you may maybe have luck or, or not. Yeah, there's 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 definitely definitely different companies um, whose business model that is. I personally also offer that. I personally also do that, but it depends on where it's located and uh, of course if I see potential in the place. Because sometimes real estate owners they only have the units. They do not want to put in any extra money for furnishing. And then if I personally would have to do that, of course, then um, it has to be negotiated what the terms of. Uh, of that will be. So I'm very picky when it comes to collaborations on this, but um, there's also other companies doing that. But mostly they don't offer this as a global option. They only um, run this locally, normally. Okay, so um, so that would be also, I think, interesting for some people. And um, as we have to come to the end slowly, what what's the next um, thing? I mean, maybe you become tired of Airbnb one day as you maybe became with the FBA. What What's next uh, for you if you look into the future, of maybe for the next three, four years? Any other business model? I mean, there's there's all kinds of different things that, that I have in mind, but the Airbnb thing is still something that I'm going to do as long as it lasts because I don't I do not really have to do anything. Like I have my people that know exactly how to do the the tiny tasks that are still left for us to do after using all the automation tools. So I don't see any reason to not continue this um, this business model. But at the same time, when it comes to what I have planned for the future. Those are more like individualistic goals, like of what I want, the things that I want to learn and to pursue that are not completely business orientated. And normally, like when I also don't really like that question, to be honest, but that's a personal thing because I feel also the Airbnb business, it just came by coincidence that I got aware of the option. So I feel that you always have to stay open to impulses that you get from other people. Like I might, I might meet somebody tonight at dinner who tells me about something I have never heard of that all of a sudden just 
blows my mind. And I'm like, fuck Airbnb. Like, this is what I want to do. This sounds so incredible that I want to go for it. Right. So I don't plan so far ahead. And I think it is um, a big luxury that I'm in a position now where I can really be open to whatever comes. Of course, there are certain particular goals that I have for my business and individually, but I also know that they can change in an instant. So maybe it's also, also always good to do experiments uh, on the side, maybe in the evening, stay open, other people, what they're doing. And, and then maybe it, it, I think it comes automatically. You, you feel it in, in, your, in your gut when you know it's time to, to move on to something else or yes. yeah, switch your priorities a little bit. So it's, it just comes when, you, when it comes. So And as we have to wrap up, I would just like to ask you where people can find you online that you, maybe if they want can connect and, and read your content. Yeah, I'm getting a whole lot of emails at the moment, but uh, the, the, the channel that is most easy to reach out to me is actually Instagram. Um, so on Instagram, my my ta uh, my um, my name is just like the name of the blog, Office Flucht. And for those people who are not German, uh, Flucht, the word for escape, is being um, spelled F L U C H T. So it's Office F L U C H T written all together. And you can reach out to me there, and um, I'll get back to you. And we obviously also link it in the show notes that you can click if you don't want to. Yeah want to type is there i mean we have a lot uh, our audience uh, is on the path to financial independence or already there is there one resource maybe that is not well known that you can recommend people that can help um, on their path to fi for example um, a podcast or youtube video or um, a book or something that's that's a good question <laughs> um i i do read a lot i also listen to several podcasts but I, but but i gotta say to me it is not really a particular book or a particular podcast that educates on financial independence, even though like Rich Dad Poor Dad was obviously the first book for a lot of people that gives you this 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 push to that direction for the very first time because it's also so easy to comprehend. But I think mindset is the first stepping stone to redirect your life into the direction that you want it to be in. Like I think the most important thing is to consume content that makes you really think of what does my ideal day look like? What life do I want? What kind of life do I want to live instead of just following the money, right? And my very, very favorite YouTube channel is by um, Tom Bilyeu. It's called Impact Theory. And he has incredible guests there that he interviews like on all kinds of different topics, mostly like very, very super successful people, but from all kinds of different fields, spirituality, hardcore business backgrounds, um, professional athletes, and in, in total, like the, the people that he interviews are just uh, mind blowing. So um, th this show also exists as a podcast and also on YouTube. And that is the one that inspires me the most on a regular basis. Okay, impact theory, and and you yeah. you need to know know where you want to move, uh, what what person you might want to be in in two three years, and in which direction you want to move. So maybe goal setting and keeping yourself motivated is is, is more important than than follow money and yeah, just Google on passive yeah, income. Because because I knew I wanted to combine work and travel. I did not say I want to earn X amount of money because if I only do that, then 
I don't really aim for what is fulfilling me. Like I can make 15 grand in a day, but if I don't know like what to do with it, because I just don't live in the place that I want to be in, or I've never asked myself that question, then it's just uh, digital numbers. And I personally have changed my, my things that I did to earn money as being self-employed three times already in the last five years. Five years ago, I was sitting in the classroom, like a university classroom, had no idea what I was going to do, right? So obviously, uh, long-term long planning uh, is not uh, what, what works best for me. But I think everybody has to find their own way. So that is a very individual thing. Yeah, and if you if you have a number you want to earn like five thousand euros, you still have to reverse engineer and, and find out how to provide value that people are giving you five thousand euros every month. So that's still something you have to think about. So thank you very much, Sebastian, or just Sebastian, and um, for all the <laughs> for all the insights about Airbnb and your life and how you started it and so on. I think it will um, inspire or help also many people to at least look into it and um, make their own judgment about it if they can implement it in their day. And yeah, thank you very much for coming. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are no financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.